Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fusion Fellowship Group. Uh, good to see everybody here tonight. Glad you can make it. So tonight we're going out of Ephesians, uh, at the end of, oh, no, chapter 5. Okay, you're not going to hit on 32? Right to 5. Okay. So chapter 5 in Ephesians. So turn your Bibles there if you have it. It'll also be on the screen here. Tonight, I think because we didn't do an activity last week, we got it this week. Oh, poopy. Oh. It's called Oh Poopy. I'll run home and get it. I'll run home and get it after the team. Okay, so we're going to play uh, Super Fight. Super fun game. So that's going to be later on after the teaching. No problem. Florida's coming up. That's exciting. Uh, also, those of you who are going to the retreat in the end of April, please let us know. There's still a lot of you that have not let us know you're going or not. If you did, that's great. If not, get on it. The more people go, the cheaper it will be. The more people go, the cheaper it will be. The more people go, the cheaper it will be. Uh, I think that's it for announcements. Am I miss? Oh, yo. I'm going to be posting on our uh, Facebook page. Some, I need a couple of volunteers for the murder mystery show next Thursday. I'll volunteer. And then, okay. It's uh, on Facebook. And then, and <laughs> after that, make sure you're ready for the talent show. <laughs> We're doing a talent show after this? After Bible two study? Weeks after next Thursday. Two, two We're weeks. We're doing a talent show here. Yeah. We're in in this economy, we're, we're doing the talent, talent show. Right. It's called Freedom Fellowships has got talent. Has got talent. That's exactly right. Like so, uh, they should make that in their show. Let's just say some people already have some things broke. All right. I mean, I think everybody else here is like planning on doing lipstick and Creed or something, right? So, yeah, everybody's doing that. Yeah, yeah, Ellie. If you have not paid for the FST. Oh. Call them out right now, but don't do that. All right, uh, Kevin, come on up. Hi, everybody. Hello. I definitely want to sit, but I'm going to stand. Whoa. All right. So today we are going to be going into Ephesians 5. We are transitioning into the second half of the book of Ephesians. Um, and just going to do a quick little recap of what we've learned from the first four. Um, we have gone from learning about what God has done for us, the things, he've done, the things he's done, who God is. And we're transitioning now into the second half of Ephesians and we're learning about the applications in our life. What does this look like for us? So today we are going to do verses, like he said, 1 through 16. Um, so that's very small. If somebody has their e-Bible or anything like that, if you could do me a favor and read verses uh, 1 through 6 for me. 1 through 7, sorry, 1 through 7. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Be sexual, but sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you as, it, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar, vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. 
Okay. For this you know with certainty that no sexual, immoral, or impure, or greedy person, which amounts to an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. See that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Oh, thank you. All right, so a little foreshadowing there. We're going to get into some pretty serious topics. Um, so get all your giggles out now. This is a PG-13 teaching. Put the kids, put the kids to bed. Um, but before we get it too deep into it, can a few of us pray? Lord, I thank you that we're all able to be here tonight. And um, I just pray for Kevin and Joe as they um, preach your word. And I always pray for us to um, get something out of this teaching. Yeah, Lord, super thankful to be uh, being here together again. So good to see everybody. Just thank you, God, for uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, especially the second half where you uh, call us on things to do and we know like your son, Jesus. So we just pray, God, uh, we invite you in here to this meeting. And we pray for our hearts, God, that we could uh, listen to what you're trying to say through this passage here and uh, pray that you can speak to you, God. Yeah, God, I pray, too, that we remember uh, your love for us and how much you love us, uh, how much you saved us out of how much you offered for us because you love us. I pray that, uh, that as we, we come and we get into your word, I pray that we would let your word get into us too and that you would be working change in our hearts. Um, God, I do pray for a deeper unity and growth. And I pray that you reveal yourself uh, to us today. Yeah, God. I want to um, invite you here with us tonight. Um, pray, for this, uh, pray for this teaching. Um, Thank you for everything that you've done for us. Um, I pray that we can maybe learn a few things about how this is going to affect our lives. Um, amen. amen. So if you go all the way back to verse 1 that uh, Lindsay so kindly read for us, uh, it says, We are to imitate God, therefore, in everything we do, because we are his, de uh, we are his dear children. <clears throat> So right away from verse 1, we are given uh, a task. What are we to do? What does he ask us to do here? Imitate. Shout it out. We are to imitate God. And the reason why? Because we are his dear children. So uh, a few of us here have children. A few of us here have children old enough to like, you know, start making decisions for themselves. Start, you know, getting a personality a little bit. <clears throat> and children, the most natural thing for them is to imitate their parents, right? They're around their parents all the time. Their parents are what they see. They're who they're around. They're who they imitate. They're, they're the, the barometer. They're the measuring stick for everything of who they're going to be, right? They're the starting point. And this actually reminds me of <clears throat> my brother Chris and his son George. Now, George is obsessed with Chris. <laughs> he wants to be like Chris. He looks up to Chris. Um, if you ask George what he wants to be when he grows up, he used to be want to be a paleontologist. Now he wants to be a, a mechanical engineer, which is typical for a four-year-old. Um, <laughs> his, 
His favorite chips are salt and vinegar chips, which are nasty, by the way. Excuse me. Um, yeah. If, uh, if Chris sits down and folds his legs a certain way, momentarily George will be right behind him, and he'll fold his legs the exact same way. He looks up to Chris. He wants to be like Chris. He's Chris's child, and he loves him so much. Um, so we're called in the same way to look at God. God is our, God is our father the same way. Right, So we're called to be imitators of him, look up to him, strive to be more like him, just the same way George wants to imitate Chris and strives to be like him. But, spoiler alert, Chris and God are different. Right? <laughs> George can end up being a mechanical engineer. George can end up being anything he wants to be because actually, George is the smartest boy in the world. Um, but... Unlike Chris, there are ways we are unable to be like God, right? There are thousands of ways that we will never be like God. Those of us who have taken basic know what these are. These are three of a thousand million different ways that we will never be like God. It really doesn't matter how much scripture that you read. It doesn't really matter how hard you try or how hard you pray, I am not in the morning going to wake up and be omnipresent. Um, nor will I be omnipotent or omniscient. Right? These are things that are beyond my grasp. These are ways that some people might try to you know, imitate God or get the power that God has, but ultimately every single time they will fail. Okay? Um, but there are ways that God is more approachable. He's, he's not always out of our grasp like being omnipresent is. Verse number two, it says, live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice to us, a pleasing aroma to God. So what did he do here? Christ came down. He gave up his place in paradise he came down to earth and he died for us, right? He took our punishment. He took our judgment. And he took it upon himself in a sacrificial way. So how, what are things that we can try and imitate with God? His love. His love. His love. <laughs> so what are some characteristics of God's love. Now, this goes back to the first half of Ephesians. We learn some characteristics of God's love. God's love pursues, like we said earlier. You know, Jesus Christ didn't just, you know, sit up in paradise and say, you know what, if, if they want a relationship with me, they'll figure it out. Love finds a way, right? He didn't just say that. He pursued us. He came down here and he died for us. He loved us and he gave himself for us. He pursued us. God's love is unconditional. He loves us no matter what we do. We're going to get into this later, but he doesn't love us only, you know, after we're Christians, just become not sinners anymore. We don't cuss anymore. Uh, we're these meek little people who just want to follow God. He knows that we're screw-ups. He knows that we have flaws and that we have sin issues. And he loves us unconditionally. And most relevant to the passage tonight, God's love is sacrificial, right? It's not 
what can you do for me? It's a serving love. It's a sacrificial love. Jesus Christ said, how can I love you? What is the best way that I can come down and I can love you? What are some things that you need from me? Not what can I get from you? So God's love pursues, it's unconditional, and it's sacrificial. And he contrasts this in verse number three. If someone could grab, uh, grab that for me. But among you, there must not be any, be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed of because these are improper for God's holy people. Yeah, thank you. So in verse number three, we're talking about like the opposite of sacrifice, right? It's all, what can I get? Um, if we're talking about greed, it's how can I make what's yours mine? How can I get more of something to make myself gratified? The same way we're talking about sexual immorality. It's how can I use what's yours to gratify me, to satisfy me? What, how can I use you? In the original Greek translation, they use the word porneia. Porneia meaning sexual behavior such as prostitution, extramarital sexual intercourse, adultery, pedophilia, promiscuity, homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, premarital sex, and bestiality. Um, so these are all examples of sexual acts and sexual behaviors that are against God's design for us, right? We were designed in a certain way, meaning we were designed to have sex within the confines of marriage, a committed man and a committed woman committed to following God in the context of a marriage. Um, but society nowadays, it is kind of diluting a lot of these. A lot of these are still extremely taboo, but a lot of them aren't. Um, society tells you, you know, follow who you are. Um, you know, you just got to follow your heart. That's what's going to make you happy. And if you're this or that, then that's just who you are. And that's how God made you. And that is contributing in a big way to the uh, downfall of the family. Um, if you look at any sort of statistic, be it secular or um, a Christian article, an atheist article, children who would grow up in a two-parent home where mom and dad are married are going to have advantages that children who grow up in a single-family home or a child of divorce just flat-out don't have. Right, And it doesn't mean necessarily that children of divorce or children in single-family homes, they're doomed, they're screwed, but they have certain disadvantages from the beginning. I myself, I'm a child of divorce, right? And there were periods of time where I grew up with just a single mom. It was just me, my brother, and my mom for a while, right? Um, but, you know, God found a way to me, but that's still... Uh, it's still... Uh, important to realize that you have certain advantages when you come from a two-parent married household. Uh, that's what God designed us for. A uh, few of us, Joe, Chris, I know Eric and I, uh, I, we used to volunteer. It's called True North Ministry, where we would go to uh, a juvenile detention center, and we would do Bible studies with these kids who were locked up. Um, now, after a while, you know, we would get to know them, talk to them. 
I would say 90 to 95% of these kids grew up where just specifically dad wasn't in the picture. Um, and it was so sad to see um, these kids who had to struggle in ways. And, you know, they grew up poor. They grew up unloved. They grew up hungry. And this just isn't how God designed us. There's a quote that I wanted to read you guys. Um, actually, I'll have one of you guys read it if that's cool. There is no other single force causing as much measurable hardship and human misery in this country as the collapse of marriage. No other single force causing so much hardship and human misery as the collapse of the marriage. Um, I, I got this quote from Ben Stewart, and when I first read it, I said, that's hard to believe that this source would say something like that, because to read it, it's like, what Christian author wrote that? Who, like, uh, what, what Bible study did this come from? It came from Time Magazine. Totally secular source. But they're giving them credit, like, they're just acknowledging a fact. The destruction of the family, it's causing unbelievable hardship. And the genesis of this destruction of the family is not living the way God designed us, to have sexual intercourse within the confines of a one-man, one-woman marriage. A lot of people would say that that's just not realistic. That's not how people are doing things nowadays. Um, Christians are kind of outdated. That might have worked it back in Mayberry. Uh, but in 2022, Kent, Ohio, that's not how we roll. Um, and you know what? Frankly, it seems like, and I used to think this too, Christians are uptight. Uh, they have, you know, sticks up their butt. They're, they're against sex. You know, I, if you ask me later and maybe I'll have a beer, I'll tell you what I actually like literally <laughs> thought some people did. Um, and it was like so wrong, right? God is for marriage. People who say that God or the Bible is against marriage, it's like saying God invented marriage. That's like telling Henry Ford, you hate cars, man. Like he's the inventor of this thing. He doesn't hate it. What he does hate is when people misuse the thing that he created for us and for our benefit, and when they use it selfishly for their own gratification. That is what he hates, and that's what he will judge. Um, so anybody who says, uh, you know, God is against marriage, there's verses against it. Uh, there's verses specifically the opposite of that. First Course 7.3, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Amen. Amen. <laughs> right? There's numerous verses like this. Um, and one of, my, one of my things that I used to think was Christians are for sex, but it's like for procreation. It's not for like um, just, you know, having fun or whatever. I thought procreation and that's it. Because I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know. But that's what I heard and that's what I assumed was true. If you go into the book of Proverbs, let her breast fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. That is a gawking face right there. That was right. 
when you have this notion of what God thinks or what God, like, just if you look into it, it's just factually incorrect. Um, God, God loves sex. Christians love sex. We love sex how we're designed. We follow the instructions. Can somebody get verse 4? Or should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jokes which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving? So two directions I want to go with this. Um, I, I had a hard time deciding uh, which thing I wanted to talk about, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch both because... I'm up here and you have to listen to me. Um, number one being, uh, this is serious. Sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, these are all things that society tells us is okay. But these are serious things and they are not okay. And it, it's, not, it's not cool to joke about. It's not cool to make light of it. But also I wanted to talk about the um, obscenity. It talks about obscenity. And I was talking earlier about how before I was a Christian, I had a lot of preconceived notions um, about what Christians are, what it meant to be a Christian, how Christians live their lives. Um, and they turned out not to be true. Uh, one being specifically obscenity. I thought you, if you're a Christian, you can't cuss. Um, and then I came to CT. Um, <laughs> And those of us who have been to CT, I mean, Keith was up there, he would cuss, everybody in the crowd was cussing. It was just, it was so much the opposite of what I thought and what I thought Christians to be. So what is he talking about here? Um, so obscenity, like any other thing, or can be used in two different ways. You can say, you can use it to build people up or you can use it to tear people down. You can say, dude, you're an effing idiot. And that's used to tear people down. But in the same light, you can use the word, you can say, you're an effing great dude, right? And that's using it to build people up. We're not, there's no words that we're forbidden from using or anything like that. It's not like some weird sort of cult that we're not allowed to use words. Um, but I will say though, Although we are given this freedom, um, I think a lot of times, uh, me, I, I'm certainly guilty of this. We can abuse this um, and we can overuse obscenities or, of course, joking or foolish talk. Um, we can abuse that freedom that we've been given. Um, an example of this is, let's say we're up here giving a Bible study um, we use all sorts of colorful language, and there's people in the crowd that are just offended by it, right? So we as Christians have to consider, are they going to listen to, you know, the actual meat of what I'm trying to say, or are they going to be put off by the fact that I just had to get in all these cuss words? And so as a Christ, those of us who are Christians and those of us who have accepted Christ, you really have to weigh, you know, is it worth it? Um, I will give you sometimes... It can be pretty funny. Um, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but you really have to consider, is it worth it? Um, is that the important thing that I'm trying to get across? Or is it this other thing? Um, can somebody get verse 
five for me, please. From this, you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a, such a person, is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Yeah, this is another verse when uh, taken totally out of context without doing any research, without, um, you know, reading the passage as a whole. You can isolate this, and it's what's called a problem verse. Problem meaning, if you take it as is, totally isolated by itself, it seems to mean that if you're immoral, or if you're impure, or if you're greedy, that you don't have any inheritance in the king of God, in the kingdom of God. Um, and that can be scary. Um, do I, as a Christian, somebody who's accepted Jesus Christ and his death on the cross account for me, do I lose my salvation? Is my inheritance gone because I struggle with greed or because I struggle with idolatry? Do I go to okay or close here? By show of hands. <laughs> All right. Um, am I going to lose my salvation? Uh, spoiler alert. No. Right? We talked about, we talked about it earlier. Um, God knows us. Right? He knows before we were ever born all of the sins that we were ever going to commit. He knows us better than we know ourselves. First uh, John one eight says, "If we claim claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we're up here and we pretend that we aren't sinners or we don't struggle with these things, then we're just lying, and we still struggle with the things. But we're also then a liar too. Um, God knows this, and he he's not expecting us to be these perfect people. He doesn't want that." But I will say, if, if these things... Um, if immorality, impurity, greed, if these are who you are, if these are the treasures that you seek, if this is what defines you, I would question uh, whether you had that light of God in you to begin with. I would question whether or not you had accepted Christ to begin this. Not that... You can't struggle with these things. But if this is who you are, and this is the path you follow, you probably didn't have that light in you to begin with. But if you are somebody who's accepted Christ into your heart and asked Jesus Christ's death on the cross to count for you, then can somebody tell me what 2 Cor 5.17 says? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Right. Thank you, Jordan. So, when we accept Christ, we have this new identity. Our kingdom shifts from um, following the world's value and what the world sees is what we should be doing and what the world says is going to make me happy to all of a sudden we have this new set of values, these new things that are important to us. And not that our old lives are never going to trip us up because that's never... I don't think going to stop happening. It's always going to happen. But we have this light in us and we've become this new creation that we can lean back on and we can always talk to our maker. We can always talk to our father. You know, 
unlike George, our father has all the answers, right? And we can ask him at any time. And he's not always going to give us the most concise answer right away, but he will always answer us. He will always be with us. He will always guide us. Can somebody bring this doggy home and get six and seven for me? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Yeah, almost every translation that I've read says, do not become partners with them. Um, there are a few translations that say, uh, do not even associate with them. Um, which I think trips a lot of people up. Uh, because I would read, don't even associate with them. And I would think in my mind, that means don't talk to these people. These people who are of the world, don't associate with them. Don't be around them. Don't, you know, you just got to, you know, they're on their side. I'm on my side. Leave them alone. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to reach these people. God didn't come for those of us who are without sin. He came for the sinners. Okay? So it's not do not associate with them. It's don't be partners with them. Don't let this fool you. Don't let that, although some of the stuff, the idolatry, the greed, the sexual immorality, it might seem cool at the time, but it is unfulfilling, I guarantee you. Right? What is fulfilling is a relationship with Jesus Christ, with a relationship with our maker. Um, so talking about uh, all of these things that the world values and all, all of the things that the, the world sees as important, um, we know that it is incompatible with a life that is following Jesus Christ. It's just, it's oil and vinegar, right? They're never going to mix. Um, so what does that mean for how we're to, you know, take the next step in our life? What does that mean for our, our the, you know, after we've made that first decision to accept Christ? What does that mean for our second decision for how we follow Christ? That is what Joseph is going to talk about. Yeah, sorry. It's weak. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, Okay. I think we're good. Good evening. Good evening. Okay, so this week, um, rather coincidentally, as I was preparing for this teaching and studying that, um, you know, formerly we walked in darkness, we kind of tried to live life fulfilling ourselves based on self-gratification, taking what we can from other people, um, you know, sexually and fulfilling ourselves with materialism and things like that versus now as believers in Christ, we know a better way um, to fulfillment. I stumbled upon this article in the Atlantic by a Harvard Business School professor. His name is Arthur Brooks called How to Want Less. So this article was all about how fleeting the pursuit of 
sexual gratification and materialism and things like this is. So I thought, oh, wow, what a coincidence. Um, you know, the article was funny. He was relating this. His, his daughter was watching a video of Mick Jagger dancing around like a chicken. I don't know if you guys ever seen Mick Jagger. He dances around like a chicken. But, you know, the author's relating this story. He's telling his daughter how fleeting this pursuit of satisfaction um, in the world's system is. So it says, satisfaction, I told my daughter, is the greatest paradox of human life. We crave it, we believe we can get it, we glimpse it, and maybe even experience it for a brief moment, and then it vanishes. Um, you know, if we have a some sort of sexual experience, if we buy something online, something like that, it does provide a little jolt, right? But it's fleeting. Um, we never give up on our quest to get and hold on to it. I try and I try and I try and I try. Mick Jagger sings. How? Through sex and consumerism, like we're talking about, according to the song, according to the Rolling Stones, too. Um, by building a life that's ever more expensive and laden with crap. You'll see, I told her. So life is just a rat race and we're doomed to an existence of dissatisfaction, she asked. That sucks. Yeah, that does suck. So, we'll skip that. I thought I took that out. So, maybe we're just uh, not too good at it, right? You know, maybe we're, we're not going to be famous like Mick Jagger, probably. Um, we're not going to be a big, successful businessman, probably. Um, so maybe we're just not good at it, and that's why it's fleeting and doesn't fulfill us. Um, maybe if we were more successful, perhaps it would fulfill us. But you look at successful people, and they're often the most miserable people um, you can think of. You know, you think of people like Steve Jobs and Michael Jordan. These are some real a-holes, right? There's, there's no other way to say it. They're infamously um, jerks. You know, they become successful because they, like Michael Jordan, I took that personally. They take everything personally, and their life is a quest to smash other people down um, to get what they want. Um, so from this article, How to Want Less, um, you know, Abd al-Rahman III, who was an emir and caliph in 20th century Spain, so one of Spain's greatest rulers of all time, summed up his life of worldly success at age 70. He says, I reign for 50 years in victory and peace. I'm beloved by my subjects. I'm dreaded by my enemies. I'm respected by my allies. I have riches and honor, power and pleasure. Um, you know, I have everything. So I've accomplished everything that anybody could ever want to accomplish, right? The payoff. I have diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness which have fallen to my lot, he wrote. They amount to 14. So I guess if we're wildly successful, we can have like 14 good days out of 70 years is the, is the takeaway. Not, not a great takeaway, right? Uh, so what's the solution, Right? What's the solution? We're designed to be successful, I think. We're designed to be fulfilled. We're designed to live a life of some sort of significance. But it seems like everything we try to get significance out of is at best fleeting. You know, the most we can hope for is two weeks of, of 70 years that are really, really good, maybe. Well, Arthur Brooks says maybe 
Um, the solution is if we focus on giving back, if we focus on things that we think will really bring us fulfillment and peace, if we focus on the simpler things in life, like watch the flowers bloom, maybe that'll bring us significance. Um, not to make fun of Arthur here, you know, because these are good things, giving back and, and watching flowers bloom and things like that. Uh, but I don't, I don't think these things are going to lead to significance either. You know, the Bible says that even good things um, are like filthy rags apart from God. So Isaiah 64, 6, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, filthy rags. All of us wither like a leaf and our wrongdoings like the wind take us away. So apart from God, we can't fulfill ourselves. We can't justify ourselves. Uh, we, we can't get it done on our own effort. You know, whether we're the ruler of Spain or not, right? So... There's really two paths, and this passage illustrates this. You know, the, the world, the culture tells us to follow your heart, um, to live your best life, you know, that things like sex and money and career, or even things like charity or giving back, whatever, whatever, um, you know, whatever we think our way is going to be um, to fulfillment, it doesn't work. The Bible says there is a way which seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. Paul says in our passage, don't become partners with them. Don't become partners with this, this lifestyle, with people who live this way. Trying to seek fulfillment based on what they think is right. You are now in the light of the Lord, so walk as children of light. So there's two paths you can go on. You know, one, this picture makes it pretty clear, I think. If only it was this simple in real life. You know, one way is a way of darkness and one way is the way of light. Um, so we need to decide what path we're going to go on. And this is the point of our passage, right? There's one way that doesn't work. There's one way that's darkness and then there's another way that's light. And Paul is saying, hey, you knew that this way didn't work. That's why you became Christians in the first place. You were darkness. You were once darkness. You weren't in the darkness. You were actually darkness. You were hopeless. You were pitiful. And Jesus saved you. Now walk as light. You're a new creature. This is the good news we have in Christ, right? He rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, right? We're a new creature. We can live this new life. We were darkness. Christ came and he redeemed us. We can live like we were meant to live. We can live a fulfilling lifestyle. The paradox of Christianity and the paradox of life is the more we try to seek our own life and seek our own fulfillment and seek our own significance, the more we don't get it. Luke 17, 33. Does somebody want to read that? I just read all the verses. Whoever strives to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will keep it. Right. So it's uh, pretty paradoxical. The more we try to save our life, the more we try to get fulfillment, the more we try to make it all about us, we lose our life. It doesn't work. 
Um, but because Christ came and sacrificed his life, we can follow him down this path. And when we lose our life, when we sacrifice our life, when we have other people's interests in mind ahead of ours, we end up keeping our life. So this is cool. We can follow Jesus down this path to a sacrificial lifestyle and into fulfillment. So this sacrificial lifestyle is exciting. It's significant. It's hard um, without a doubt, but it's the way we were created to live. We're not, we weren't created to just pursue pleasure and fulfillment and make it all about us. This doesn't work. Um, this is why the Rolling Stones wrote that song. They can't get no satisfaction this way. So two paths, right? Our way, how are we going to make life work, or God's way? And Paul's exhortation is, you've lived this old way before. You know that this doesn't work. Um, no longer live that way. Uh, verse 7 says, don't become partners with them. Don't become partners with people that live this lifestyle you know doesn't work. So the implication here is even as believers in Christ, we can get caught up again in this lifestyle. This lifestyle is pretty enticing. You know, materialism and greed and that sort of stuff, it does give you a jolt. It is pretty fun to get something in the mail from Amazon or something like that. Um, But no longer live this way. Instead, as believers in Christ, we're light bearers. Our role now is to point the way for others to escape this darkness and futility of the rat race, right? This is an awesome and high calling. Children of light. We are light. It says we were darkness. Now we're light. And to walk that way, verse 9 says, The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So when we walk this way, when we follow Jesus, it produces good things, goodness, righteousness, and truth. So this is a complete reorientation of life, right? Before, life was all about taking, all about worrying, about getting what we need and things like that. And now our life is following Jesus, imitating him, learning what he's all about. That's verse 10, as we try to learn what is pleasing the Lord. So this is a fulfilling and attractive lifestyle. Not only fulfills us, but it's attractive to other people who are running that rat race, right? They can't make life work. They see you following Jesus, learning what's pleasing to the Lord. You're making life work. This is a light source. This is attractive to other people. So he goes on in verses 11 through 14. Does somebody want to grab that? Do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. Everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay. So as Christians, as believers in Jesus, we have a real mission and a real calling. Um, There are people in this world who are living in darkness and they're looking for meaning. They're looking to futile pursuits to fulfill their desires for significance and things like that. This doesn't work. They need help. And we are the light. 
So the point here in verse 11, do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, is, you know, there's, there's people that need help. And if we're participating in things that are useless, if we're doing these same sort of futile things, pursuing significance through greed and sexual immorality and things like that, not only does that not work for us, it negatively impacts our mission to try to be light to other people. If we're involved in pornea and greedy materialism and things like that, if we're self-focused, it just makes us look bad. It makes Christianity look bad. It makes Jesus look bad, right? We look like hypocrites. Um, We make a sham out of the gospel and we don't reflect the light that we're supposed to. It's confusing and it's alienating um, to people who don't know Jesus. It, It distracts from our mission, right? So we shouldn't participate in these useless deeds, um, but instead expose them. So how do we expose them as useless? Uh, Do we go judging them? Do we judge other people? Uh, No, we shouldn't do that. That would be bad. Um, We should expose the fact that they're useless by living differently by living a life that is significant, by living a life that is fulfilling, by living a life that is godly and honest. You know, of course, we speak up when we have an opportunity and things like that. But to live like light, to show the world that this way of pursuing whatever you want to pursue and stepping on people, this way doesn't work. And Jesus's way does. You know, sacrificing for people, loving people, caring about people. This way actually works. You can make a family work. You can make friendships work. You can make relationships work. This is cool to be loving. So we ought to think of that as Christians. How well is God's light shining through us? How well is God's light shining through our lives? You know, are we a light source at home, at work, at school, and things like that? If we're partnering with darkness, of course, uh, don't, don't do that. I guess the passage says... Um, Again, it's easy to get sucked into that. That's the implication there. That's why Paul puts that warning there. Um, If as Christians we're getting sucked back into that um, futile way of life, then repent and confess that. But more so, ask Jesus to rekindle his flame in your heart um, so you can become light again. So last couple verses here. Can somebody grab those? So then be careful how you walk, not on as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Okay. So as Christians, like, there's no way around it. Um, this is an awesome, very important um, opportunity and responsibility that we have. Um, You know, Spider-Man, again, I just got to point out, Spider-Man says, with great power comes great responsibility. And unfortunately, as Christians, that's the position we're in. We know some things. um, We're tied in with Jesus. Um, We have wisdom. We have his way of doing things. This is great power. This is very powerful, and it's a great responsibility. Our responsibility is to be light um, and, and shine that to other people. So we need to conduct ourselves at all times 
as wise people, not as unwise people. So wise and unwise, what does this mean? Um, In the Bible, the fool, the unwise person is the person who lives like God doesn't exist and doesn't matter. That's unwise. So to be wise is acknowledging God does exist and does matter and following him. Um, So when we do this, when we follow God, then we can make the most of the time. So we have a limited amount of time on earth, obviously. Um, You know, we have a limited amount of opportunities to be light to other people. And what this verse is saying is make the most of our time. Literally redeem the time. So just as Christ came and redeemed us so we could follow him, we have the opportunity to redeem our time, to rescue it from waste and abuse. Instead of running out the clock at work, oh boy, am I guilty of that. You know, it's like 4.05 and I'm like, let's just round up and call it five. You know, (laughs) we're about done for the day. Instead of running out the clock at work or um, running out the clock at home, waiting for the kids to go to bed, things like that, this time is valuable. Taking my time and subjecting it to God's will. I've only got a limited amount of time. I'm not going to waste it. It's short and it's precious. And thinking of it that way. I've got to redeem it while I still have the chance. So I just, there's like a few things that are really frustrating in life. And I think probably one of the most frustrated things in life is having your time wasted. Um, You know, if you're at a meeting that has no point at work, like I just wasted an hour of my life and I don't know what we even talked about. You know, why did I get invited to that meeting? Or if you're behind a slow driver, the driver who's actually going the speed limit, you know, like the speed, the speed limit is when it's 35, you're supposed to go 42. Okay, so go 42. Why are you going 35? Like what is wrong with this person? There are, this is just so frustrating to get your time wasted, right? Um, there's not enough time in my day to have my time wasted. Time is precious. Um, but the reality of this situation is, if we're honest with ourselves, we're really the biggest time wasters of our own time, right? So, like, I'll put these up here for you guys really quickly. But average life is 75 years, so we got you know, give or take 75 years. You spend 26 years sleeping. You got to sleep. It seems like a lot, right? We could get a lot more done if we didn't have to sleep, but we do. Um, We spend seven years in bed trying to fall asleep. Good good God. That makes me so mad. Uh, Okay, so maybe like the first two things you can't do anything about, right? You got to sleep. You got to get in bed and try to fall asleep. Uh, But then these next couple things, we spend 11 years of our life watching TV. So, okay, the guy in front of me that's driving the speed limit, he's not wasting 11 years of my life. I'm wasting watching TV. We spend 11 years of our life working. I guess we got to work, right? We spend five years of our life online surfing the internet. We spend four years of our life on our phones, Checking our phones, 23 days per year. 
We check our phone every six and a half minutes. Nobody's calling you. Why are you checking your phone? You know, I look at my phone all the time. Nobody, nobody called me. Um, we spent a year and a half in the bathroom. I guess you got to go to the bathroom. Um, and then all in all, that amounts to 11 hours daily interacting with digital media. So this is like TV, computers, surfing the internet, looking at our phones, stuff like that. So most of our life is things that maybe we don't need to do. Um, so this, this was alarming. So my daughter was born in 2012. Um, so this stat is applicable to her, I'm sure. Uh, children born in 2013, by the time they're seven years old, so 2020, um, they will have spent one year of their life in front of a screen. Astonishing, right? So there, there is a lot of time within these things. Some of them we got to do. Some of them I don't think we, we really have to do. And our job really, especially as Christians, is to, is to make the most of our time. So be careful how we walk, not as unwise. You know, we, we know God exists and we should follow him, but as wise, making the most of our time because the days are evil, the days are short. So there's a lot of time and opportunity out there. There's time to do something for God. There's time to do something that's good. We can't say we don't have the time because we're spending 11, 11 years of our life watching TV, right? There is time. There is time to live as we were intended. We're not designed to waste time like this. So God gives us moments and opportunities to use for him to play a vital role in his kingdom. So Ephesians 2.10, can somebody grab that? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Right. So God's just waiting for us to clear time off of our busy schedule to step into good works that he has for us, that he planned for us long ago. So I'll wrap up really quick. Um, like I was saying, some takeaways. Again, this is an awesome calling. It's a sobering calling. With great power comes great responsibility. Now you're a light. So, um, you know, we should be different. To be different, we have to be connected with God. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit for direction. Um, get to know God. You know, verse 10 says, to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So it starts here. If you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with him, that's the takeaway, really. God created us. He wants to know us and he wants to help us realize our design and our potential, right? We weren't created to just waste our lives away in futile pursuits um, that, that don't amount to anything significant. We weren't created for this. We were created for good works. We just read that verse. So we, we just need to step into them. We need to know God. So if we do need know God, if we are believers, we ought to continue to get to know him, right? Learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We're still learning that. Um, you know, being imitators, like a child would imitate their father. Um, you got to know what your dad's doing, right? You got to be learning the word in the word. You got to be in prayer, learning what God's all about. And then aligning our life and priorities with him. And that leads to fulfillment, right? As we shine as lights, as we're involved in the good works that God has prepared for us, these are significant things. 
And then to use our time sacrificially like Jesus would use his time, right? So rather than thinking, hey, I've got some free time, I better use that up for myself. We know as Christians that that doesn't work, right? We know that that doesn't work to try to save our life. We end up losing it, right? We waste that time. We don't get it back. Use the time sacrificially. If I've got five minutes, take that five minutes and pray for somebody. Commit to pray for um, somebody you love and care about for five minutes a day. You know, commit to meet a need that's there in somebody's life that you know about, um, you know, one night of the week. So maybe one night of the week you don't, you don't get to watch that TV and you go and help somebody. And that, that ought to be a more fulfilling pursuit um, than a, a self-focused one would be. The fruit of the light, right? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So how do we define success in life? I think for me, I grew up thinking, and I still think that a successful person, when I think of a successful person, I think of a person with like five cars and five bedrooms and five bathrooms and a lot of money and stuff like that. But we know that that is not a fulfilling thing. Um, How do we define success in life? So I'll end with this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 10 through 12. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to excel even more in love and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we instructed you, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. So as believers in Christ, how do we define success in life? You know, we're living a quiet life. We don't need to be rich and famous. We don't need to have a lot of money. What we do want to have in access is love. You know, we do want to stack love. We do want to grow in love. So we want to excel in that and follow Jesus. And that's what he wants us to accumulate. So that's what I had. All right, does anybody have any thoughts, comments, questions? Angie Burtka. Yeah, thanks, you guys. That was great. So I just want to say I really like the way... So Kevin started out saying, this is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. And then, Joe, I think you brought him home when you said, you told us, like, why this is serious. It's like, this is serious because it it affects our... How we... How we follow affects our witness, whether or not we do these things affects the joy that we're going to feel here. It affects, um, I just was taking notes, I mean, how we're impacting all the people around us, um, you know, to God's glory, for God's glory, right? It's so serious, and this stuff is not funny. Like, I, I know that our culture, you know, wants to turn some of this, these things into jokes, but this thing about, you know, Lauren and I walk into these strip clubs, um, you know, once a month on Friday nights. There is nothing funny there. Yeah. There is nothing humorous there. It's not a joke. Um, there's some real darkness out there. And how we walk can affect that. What we do can affect that. That's serious. Mm-hmm. Stop. Like, so thanks for pointing that out. Like, it's, you know, it's not nothing. Yeah. It's not nothing, right? And then our, I mean, I think our, 
Right. I, I'm trying to think of a way to say. I like what you had to say. But we're not going to change the world by, you know, some sweeping program or something like that. But it's doing what you're doing. Just, you know, how often do you do that? One night a month? So one night a month, you guys sacrifice your time to go and, you know, care about other people that need care, right? And that... It's easy to get discouraged because you're you're right. It's like we're not, you know, you walk in, we're not changing anything. Except that these women do feel loved. Yeah. They do. I guess that's my point. Yeah, the one time a month, that is an impactful thing. You know? To excel in, in love, you know, people are being loved that wouldn't be loved. But I do appreciate you pointing out, like, just it really is serious stuff. Yeah. Not, it's yeah. Quick story about, um, like, making the most of your time and loving sacrificially. Um, I remember when I was a new Christian, um, my brother Joe and I. We were decided we're going to get jacked, and we're going to go to the natatorium, and we're going to start lifting before work. Um, so we get to the natatorium. It's like probably 6 a.m. or something, and I'm thinking to myself, this is stupid. Why am I even doing this? Um, I'm not even that fat anyways. Why am I here? Um, and it, like I said, it was like 6 in the morning. And you want to talk about making the most of your time and loving sacrificially. I saw, we saw Terry. Uh, at 6 a.m. at the natatorium, he was writing prayer cards for people. Aww. And that, as, as a young Christian, I probably had accepted Christ like a year or two previous. That was mind-blowing to me. That was like, I couldn't believe what I saw. And that was like, I, I really, that really spoke to me. Um, no super point to that, but I just wanted to talk about Encourage Terry. That was, that was amazing, and I'll never forget that. Uh. That's a good use of your time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it is It is like that. Like, if you... We didn't stick with that gin thing. No, stupid. For a long time. It's a shame. But if, if we had, you know, it's like that when you go to the gym or you're on a diet. You don't see a difference in a day or something like that. But... Yeah, if you take five minutes a day and you pray for somebody... Uh, you know, maybe in a in a few days you wouldn't see a change, but in a year you you would see a change. You know, so it's like that too with what you guys are doing at the Rahab thing. You know, over time it is impactful. Yeah. I had uh, two things. Oh. Um, so Kevin, your part you talked about coarse language. Swearing and things like that. Sure. So I remember, like, my background was like, I didn't really go to church at all, didn't really know God at all, like, growing up. Yeah. So I met Christ later on, actually being invited to a Bible study uh, in this church. So I, I had preconceived notions too, like, yeah, Christians can't cuss. Yeah. Because they're Christians, and that's just what they do. And it's stupid because cussing is awesome. <laughs> uh, so, like, when I went to churches, it'd be like holier than thou, and I was really turned off by I'm like, you're not, like, this is weird. Like, you don't talk right, kind of thing. Um, you don't yeah. be talking right. Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> I, think, I think the thing is, like, you know that most people, when they leave church, they're going to talk a different way than they do when they're in church, right? Mm-hmm. Like, come on. So, you know? so, like, I was so comforted that people, like, in high school, around my age, were just, like, they were normal. Yeah, like, 
hey, I cuss, do you cuss? You know, it's, it's, it wasn't like a, they're cussing at me or like putting me down, but it was just like kind of in conversation, like, yeah. wow. And you guys are Christians, like, yeah. I'm like, whoa, that's cool. Um, <laughs> so that was a big thing, and I think Paul talks about that, like becoming all things to all men. And to Jews, he would kind of act like a Jew to win some, and to Greeks, he would act like a Greek to win some. So then you got to know your audience, like you were saying. Like, no, is the purpose to build up for the kingdom of God, or is it just to kind of glorify ourselves or tear them down or whatever? You know, is it selfish? Or is it like, hey, this person also comes from that kind of background. Um, let me not alienate them from my weird language. Yeah. Let me, you know, try to reach them in the way that, you know, where they're at now. Um, so that was a great point. And, Joe, I loved your point of making the most of your time or redeeming the time. Uh, which it like literally means redeeming. So it's just like uh, so to redeem like means to buy back. And I know like viewing my time like that, I usually don't. It's just like here's the day, and it's just kind of progressing. And I'm kind of doing stuff here and there, but it's just passing by. But in this like case, you're actually making the, the thought where you're like you're buying back that time because our natural way of things is like time is just going to waste. Like we're just gonna be kind of doing stuff. Like, we're in our flesh is the natural thing. But, like, being in the spirit, it does take a thoughtful attempt to actually be, let me redeem or let me take this time back for the Lord. Let him use it in my life. So I just love that uh, point. And also I love the, the Greek word time, which is kairos, which I wish. Yeah, kairos. Yeah, we'll have our church name that. But that's okay. Free to fill some But, no, I appreciate you guys teaching. That just, the two things that really stuck out to me was, man, Getting back, I'm like actually disciplining myself to use my time for the Lord, uh, to buy that back and not just let it go to waste. Going back to your your the picture of like the two paths, I was thinking about um, just like I've been on the wrong path before, you know. But <coughs> I think at any moment you can cross back over. You know, that's like the, it's the grace of God. Like, I'm going down this dark path, but like, you, whatever. It might be like some rough terrain to get to the, the path, but like, that's you can jump back over there. So that's, that's cool thing about God. It's yeah. like his, you know, his You're very, not just stuck on one. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That, that's a good point. You're not stuck on one. Or to, you know, the Bible says today if you hear his voice. Right, you can. Oh, I've been just doing my own thing for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a moment by moment thing. Probably, I'm doing my own thing right now. Like you're saying, I'm just time's just getting away from me, and I'm just going through the motions today. Um, let me recalibrate and get before the Lord. And Lord, what? You know, how can I be redemptive? I've got to be at work, right? How can I be redemptive about this time? Yeah. Something like that. <clears throat> Isn't that a relief when you do? That we just I mean, like, oh, miss this. And you get back to it and you go, oh, okay. I definitely got a second on what Lauren just said. Um, for five years, consecutively, I was on the rough path. God was nudging me. Stubbornly, I was stuck in the mud and wanted to do my own little thing until. Uh, 2018, 2019 came around, and that's where I met Jeff uh, Smalley, and he brought me around to Stout, and Stout turned into Fusion. So, thank you guys. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it is. Um, I think your story probably illustrates this, Jordan, but it is a really loving and merciful thing that God does. He does let us go down our own path as long as we want. And I think making mistakes and, you know, doing stupid stuff, that is one of the best teachers that you can have because you realize, oh, that was dumb. I'm not going to do that again. Oh, that's why God says not to do that. You know, where I think, you know, hopefully we don't have to experience that too much before we get it. But I think, you know, I think it's a loving and merciful thing. God lets us choose our own way. And then we can see the results and the consequences and the fruit of doing things our own way. Um, You know, in the end, the way is of death, right? It doesn't, it's not fulfilling. It's not significant. We've experienced it. We know it doesn't work. So then we can go, okay, God, I'm I'm ready to follow you. So, you know, I think it's, it's a, it's a cool and, and merciful and loving thing that God lets us experience. Hey, you tried it your way, right? How did it go? How's that working out for you? Uh, yeah, not not too well. Okay, well, come try it my way. Yeah. It's kind of like a prodigal son, right? Yeah. Came to his senses, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that, right, the prodigal son had a deeper understanding of God's love and grace than somebody who didn't go and blow it, right? I'm not advocating that you go and blow it, but um, you're probably going to go and blow it anyway, so... I mean, shit happens. Yeah. It does. <laughs> well put. Well put. <laughs> Go. I guess my question is, even before one finds Jesus, I mean, if you're sitting there watching TV, a lot of people would come to the realization that I'm wasting my time away. I'm not making good use of my time. Those that have found Jesus, I mean, even after the teaching tonight, you'll look back and say, if you are watching TV, I'm wasting my time. One can't help other people all the time. I guess yeah. some people can, and they are fantastic. Sure. Bless God bless them for that, that they can do that all the time. But how do you not feel guilty for not doing that all the time? Because if I do, you know, you help people four hours out of the day, you want to watch TV for an hour, you kind of want to feel guilty like, watching TV, I could be another hour helping people or something like that. Yeah, this is a good point you make. I actually had this in my notes and I just forgot to say it. Um, So I'm glad that you're you're saying it because, you know, I was hammering on the, hey, we got to be using time wisely. But then the flip side of that is we can become like very rigid and like I can't ever waste time. Yeah. And I can't lose anything and it's do, 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 do. And again, that, that's the same sort of, in a different way, that's the same sort of thing as, as wasting time. It's just focused on, you know, what am I doing and what's going to make, you know, I, if I'm making sense. It's, 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 a, me, what you're doing wrong. it's a me focused, yeah. it's a works based sort of mentality versus, I mean, God is a relational God. It's right. like, Something that might seem like a waste of time. Hey, let's just go hang out tonight. Let's watch a movie. Let's go out and get something to eat. Let's get to know each other. You know, from a worldly sense, that is not a maybe a great use of time. But from a godly sense, that's a wonderful use of time to get to know somebody, to share each other's lives, things like that. So it's not this rigid, like, I can't ever watch TV or I can't ever have fun. Like, God wants us to have fun. You know, God has a sense of humor. 
it's not like we can't ever make jokes with anybody like you're saying. Yeah. But it's just what are what you know is the focus of me making a joke to rip somebody down, or is it to encourage somebody and to have fun or something like that? So I'm glad that you made that point. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying we can't ever waste time. We can't ever watch TV or get on our phone or decompress or something like that. Yeah, certainly we need time to do that. Yeah, I think that's like a misleading question. Like, could I do more? Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a, the answer is always yes. Even if you don't watch TV for an hour, the answer is still yes. And so it's, it's a defeating question. Right? Was I able to do, were the thing, was the thing I was able to do, was that pleasing to God? Was I able to do some relational things today? Yeah, that's that's good. You you can always do it. Like my mom, your mom died last year. I mean, could I have seen her more? Yes. You could always do more for your mother before she died. Always. It's just it's a defeating um, question that isn't relationally focused, like Joe was talking about. It's it's a my performance focused, and it's like it's the wrong question. Beating yourself down. Yeah. Versus what I. What are the great things that I did today? Hey, that was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is to the question of um, when have I done enough? Well, the answer is never. 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 Some of the most, you're like making a face, wife. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Some of like the most productive time that I have is when I just go for a walk. And I think and I pray. And I find like, oh, I actually thought about other people versus trying to like just get a bunch of things done in a day that were like productive and good. Yeah. That, that's the most productive and good use of my time is to you know, focus on other people and decompress and stuff like that. So that makes sense. It does. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's like on that note, like Neil is always trying to get you to like wrestle on the bed. Yeah. So sorry. I know this sounds so weird. It's not weird. Well, okay, yeah. Wrestle. I mean, we've been doing this since she was was little. Now, Esme, like you do it with them. And I always am like, oh, it's so sweet that that's like, that's what you guys do when you're done working. And it's just, it's like cute though, but it's like she looks forward to that every day, basically. Yeah. That choke yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's gets up in the mix, and she's kind of aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> she's holding her weight. Yeah. I mean, those are the things that you look back on your life. Those are the significant and fulfilling things that you look at. Is the time you went and you had dinner with your friend, and you just like for two hours, you just had a great time, and you forgot. Have you ever had one of those times where you just like forgot what day it was? You had such a good time hanging out with somebody. And you're like, oh, wait, it's Tuesday. Um, yeah. uh, those are like the most fun times, right? The things like playing, spent, taking a couple minutes to spend time playing with your kids. You know, those are. Yeah, yeah there's like nothing more significant than people. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, those are the things that I remember, the times I had a lot of fun, the times I remember still going, people used to, I went to Youngstown State University and people would drive from Kent to go see me at Youngstown and we would hang out. And when I was investigating God and, you know, like, is this real or not? 
those times when we were like hanging out, I can, I got stories still that are my favorite memories ever, ever from those times. So. Cool. Anyone else have anything to share? Okay, well, why don't we have a few of us pray? And then we will, what's the thing? What's the activity? Super 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 fly. Okay. Super fly. Fight. Burger fly. Burger fly. Burger fly. Okay. Ooh. Oh, I know what that is then. You know what it is. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I'm unfairly lost. You did. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we have a few of us pray and then, uh, yeah, we'll get into super fights. Lord, I just want to thank you so much that um, you give us a way to live a significant life. Um, I think that it can be really easy to get caught into what the world says is significant, and I'm so thankful that. Um, you show us that that's not really how it works and uh, that you have a better way. Um, I just pray that uh, we can be choosing to walk as children of light, um, that we can be focused on having a mission and sharing you with other people because you actually make life significant. Um, And I don't know, I pray we can have a good time tonight talking about that and uh, super fight. Yeah. Super fight. Yeah. Thank you, God, that you saved us from the, from the old way of life. Mm-hmm. You saved us out of the um, kingdom of darkness. And you transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Thank you so much for that, God. You loved us sacrificially uh, when we weren't interested in your love. You came to die for us. I just I pray that we would remember that, Lord. I pray that I would remember that. Um, I would not forget uh, how much you have saved me out of. And that you've forgiven my sin. All of it. And, and you know the sins I'm going to commit in the future. And you died for those. You knew about those when you died also. Yeah, Jesus, I I definitely agree with these prayers. Um, Just do thank you that you rescued us from darkness. Um, Thank you that you sent your son um, to die and bear the penalty for our sins, for our our foolishness, for our way of life that uh, was leading to death. You saved us from all of that. Um, And then what's really cool is it's not just we're not supposed to do bad things or something like that. You you give us a whole new way of living. You know, we we're new creatures. Um, you know, the old way of living, the dark, the darkness, the unfulfilling lifestyle is something that we don't have to do anymore. We can put on the new self and the new way of living and walk in your light. So thank you for that awesome calling and purpose you give us, Lord, where um, when we know you, not only are we blessed beyond measure, 
Um, but then we can be a blessing to others. You know, we can be light. We can, um, you know, tell people about you. We can connect people to that same significance and meaning that um, somebody connected us to um, through you. So thank you for that, Lord. Um, thank you for this passage. Um, you know, thank you for people participating and sharing here tonight. Really cool. Amen.